Thank you very much. Thank you, worship team. That's been amazing and gives me a pretty good lead in, just so you know, because today we're talking about the wise men. So as part of my role with Queensland Baptist Women, it's my job to monitor and regularly post to their social media accounts. So last year, Christmas just happened to fall on a Friday. So that's my Friday funnies that I post. Every Sunday is a Bible verse, but every Friday is a Friday funny. So when Christmas fell on a Friday, I was on the lookout for a funny Christmas cartoon meme. Um, but sometimes I just, I just realised that because I represent Queensland Baptist women, I have to be quite particular about what I post. And so occasionally they have to go to a family vote. Um, so I hope you're not offended at all, but these are the ones that didn't make the cut that I just thought I'd show you. Um, so if you can see that, it's the three wise women that came after the wise men left and they bought fresh diapers, casseroles for the week and lots of formula. <laughs> and then we have one of the wise men getting hit in the, at the head with a, a gardening tool. Apart from being excellent fodder for Christmas cartoons, I realised that I didn't know all that much about the wise men that came to visit Jesus after he was born. So I decided to do a little bit of research. And this morning, I would just like to share with you not only what I learned about the wise men, but also what I think they have to teach us. So let's just start by reading their story in the Bible. We're reading from Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. The Magi visit the Messiah. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel." Then Herod called together the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they'd seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Out of all of the Gospels, Matthew is actually the only one that tells us anything about the story of the Magi. However, many of the beliefs and ideas that we may have about these wise men doesn't actually come from scripture, but rather it comes from nativity scenes and Christmas carols and maybe even Hallmark. 
For example, most nativity scenes, just like this one, have the wise men together with the shepherds and the angels on the night that Jesus was born. However, Matthew just says that they came after Jesus was born. Most scholars agree that when the wise men came to visit Jesus, it would have been sometime when he was home in Nazareth following his circumcision and after Mary's time of purification, which was 40 days. And this is just one of the misconceptions that we have about the story of the wise men. Another one that is blaringly obvious, but I'm ashamed to say never occurred to me, was the fact that the Bible never says that there were three wise men. Western tradition and nativity scenes have painted the idea of three wise men basically because they bought three gifts. But in reality, we don't know what the proportion of those gifts were or how many men carried them. An ancient Roman manuscript dated as early as the 2nd or 3rd century AD, alleging to be an eyewitness account, says that there was 12 wise men. And this is a belief that Eastern Christian tradition holds to this day. Thanks to a famous Christmas carol that we just happened to sing, there is another assumption that's made that the wise men were actually kings. But this is not actually what scripture says. The NIV refers to the wise men as magi, which is a translation of the Greek word magoi. Now, according to my Strong's concordance, magoi can be interpreted to mean a sorcerer or a magician. Now, while we might have fairly negative connotations of those words, that's not necessarily the idea that was held when the Gospel of Matthew was penned. The word magi would have been known to denote learned men of Eastern nations who were devoted to astronomy, to religion, to philosophy and to medicine. The term magi was used to refer to the wise men who were held in high esteem by the king's court and their counsel and wisdom was often sought. They even followed camps at times of war to give advice. It's the same term that's used in Daniel 2 verse 48. After Daniel successfully interprets King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, we're told that the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men or magi. So Matthew isn't clear exactly who these men were. He isn't clear on how many there were and he also isn't clear on exactly where they came from. He uses the vague reference that they were from the east. But biblical commentaries generally agree that they were most likely from Persia or from the Arabian Peninsula. Now, it's interesting to note that the trees of the Boswellian and the Comphora trees are both native to the Arabian Peninsula. Now, I know that might sound very noteworthy until I tell you that it's from those trees that we get the sap that's used to make frankincense and myrrh and you'll notice at the bottom of the Arabian Peninsula that area marked Sheba which you might remember was famous for its wealth and in particular its gold which was more than likely brought over from Africa and it was the Queen of Sheba who brought gold to King Solomon. It's also noted that Isaiah actually prophesies in relation to a redeemer coming to Zion that the people from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense. 
Now, if I've lost you at all there with my little bit of history geography lesson, just let me reel you back in as we take a look at what we can learn from these wise men. Because when you put aside the questions of how many there were, who they were and where they came from, what really struck me as I studied this story is that these wise men sought the Lord. They came from a faraway place to seek and honour Jesus. They'd studied the scriptures and they were paying attention to the signs when God descended to earth in the form of a baby and they were expectant of his arrival. Both Persia and the Arabian Peninsula were a melting pot for all different kinds of nationalities. So even if the wise men weren't Jewish, which they most likely weren't, they would have been very familiar with the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah because of the Jews who'd been forced to settle in the region centuries before. They would have known of prophecies spoken by the somewhat strange and unlikely messenger of Balaam. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. The Magi had most likely examined prophecies from Daniel, Isaiah, and this one from Jeremiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called our Lord, righteous saviour. As wise and learned men, the Magi would have studied the scriptures and understood the timing of the Messiah's birth and the signs that would lead them to the place where God revealed himself to the world in the form of a baby. I wonder if the same can be said for us. Could we call ourselves scholars of scripture? Do we make a habit of studying the Bible in context or do we maybe take more of a magic eight ball approach where we open the scriptures hoping for some sort of answer? I know for me it's all too easy for my time in the word to become a little bit like a box ticking exercise, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm or a proverb. And at the end of the year when things seem to get crazy busy, it's all too easy for our time in the word to just become something more to do on our to-do list even as I was just going through this sermon this morning I felt like a bit of a hypocrite because I had to go back and think when was the last time I actually sat down and spent some quality time in the word and tomorrow we're going to head off on two days holiday and even when I've got the time I know that I'm much more likely to grab a book and go and sit on the deck than I am to grab my highlighter and notebook and go and study my Bible. But this is not meant to be a guilt trip for any of us because I really don't believe that's how God works. I don't think he sits there chastising us going, that's it, no Netflix until you've read your Bible. But I think that he does present us with invitations on a daily basis. A little sunbird flittering through some dew-soaked grass, reminding us of those words that Jesus spoke in Matthew when he talks about how God looks after those birds, how much more is he going to look after us? Even the sun creeping us over the, um, the morning horizon points us in the directions of Lamentations 2.23 with a promise that his mercies are new every morning. And even the act of consuming our morning toast can serve as a reminder 
of the body that Jesus laid down as a sacrifice for our sins. Through gentle invitations and regular promptings, God calls us to step away from the constant chaos and demands of daily life and to open his word and seek him. Just like it says in Psalm 105 verse 4, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. The Hebrew word used for seek here is derash and that word means to search out by any method, to study, to read repeatedly or to beat a path. That phrase beat a path really struck a chord with me because a beaten path is one that is walked frequently and persistently. Do we beat a path through scripture? Do we like the wise men take our father up on his invitation to seek his presence continually through studying his word? Do we follow the wise men example of being expectant of it, of Jesus Last year when I went to set up our nativity scene, I got called away in the middle of it and I didn't get back to finish it for an entire week. So for seven days, our nativity scene consisted of a single angel waiting expectantly for the arrival of Jesus. It served as a reminder to me to be expectant of my saviour, not only in his second coming, but each and every day. To be expectant as I pray that God will answer my prayers in his timing and his will. To be expectant that God will equip me as I follow the Holy Spirit's promptings. To be expectant to see God move in a world that sometimes feels like it's spiralling out of control. Are we expectant of our Saviour? Because the Magi were, they were so expectant of Jesus that they left their homes to trek across the desert following a star. Now, depending on where they originated from, their journey could have been anywhere from 600 to 3,000 kilometres. They could have ridden on camels, but it's likely as wealthy men they would have come on horseback. Either of those journeys doesn't sound particularly comfortable to me. We whinge about the the, um, drive down from far north Queensland with the comforts of cushy seats and air conditioning where they would have had to deal with hot sun, dust, blisters, sore muscles and lots of other things. Yet they willingly undertook this arduous journey seeking the Lord. I sometimes wonder if our journey towards Jesus can feel a little bit the same arduous do you ever catch yourself wondering why it has to be so hard if we're truly seeking Jesus and wanting to be obedient and following God's calling then surely he could make the path a little bit easier to traverse but the Bible gives us a pretty big heads up that it doesn't quite work like that scripture is full of examples of tough stuff happening to people who were obedient and full of faith Jesus himself sums it up quite succinctly on the night before he's betrayed. He's sitting down to have a chat with his disciples and he says, in this world, you will have troubles. You can't get much clearer than that. You will have troubles. You cannot obey them away and you cannot faith them away. But then he goes on to say, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I believe what Jesus was saying here is that he knows full well that the journey can be long and that the path can be hard. 
but we need to have courage and not lose hope because the final destination is well and truly worth it. So as we travel the road, we need to keep our eyes focused on that finish line and continually press into Jesus and seek him just like the wise men did. Another thing that we can learn from them is that they weren't alone on their journey. Matthew may not be clear on how many there were, but we know this, there was definitely more than one. And they were together on their journey of seeking Jesus. The year after I left high school, I farewelled my family and my friends and my church, and I went on an exchange to Denmark. I fully had the best of intentions of getting involved in a small group or young adults group when I got there. But I soon realized that while each of my host families professed a belief in God, they actually didn't go to church unless it was a special occasion. So each of our Sundays was usually filled with different kinds of activities. When I did manage to get to church, it was surprise, surprise, all in Danish. And um, the services were quite a bit different to what I was used to. And while I did keep in contact with my family and church friends back in Australia, it was all a long time ago and we used snail mail. And so I didn't really have somebody walking beside me and encouraging me spiritually on a daily basis. And while I didn't let go of my faith during those 12 months, I certainly didn't really advance in the path towards Jesus. And yet when I returned back to Australia and plugged back into my church and life group and family, I actually experienced a mini revival. My faith just got deeper and my relationship with Jesus stronger. I was blessed with that kind of fellowship that Paul talks about in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, where he encourages us to continue, sorry, to consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. And he urges us not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And the last 18 months have certainly taught us that we don't need to be in the same room in order to meet together. The church has adapted quickly at fellowshipping in all sorts of ways using various mediums. But no matter how you do it, adhering to the biblical principle of fellowship takes diligence and intentionality. Because I don't think the kind of fellowship that Paul and a number of other New Testament writers refer to is the polite smile, have a good week kind of fellowship. I think they're talking about the iron sharpening iron and bearing each other's burdens kind of fellowship. So who is on your Jesus journey with you? Who do you fellowship with in an intentional and honest way, practicing mutual vulnerability? Do you have a group or even an individual who will ask you the hard questions and keep you accountable? Who have you come alongside of and encouraged in their spiritual journey, spurring them on in their faith? The Magi were together on their journey of seeking Jesus. They studied scripture and they were expectant of his arrival. Their journey certainly wasn't an easy one, but they were persistent and they focused on their destination and they didn't go it alone. But we have to be careful not to miss what their actions were when they finally found themselves in the presence of a king. Let's just go back to that section from Matthew chapter 2, reading from verse 10. 
When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother and they bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down and worshipped him. Some translations say that they fell or that they fell to their knees and worshipped. Through this act of surrender and reverence, they declared the sovereignty of this infant saviour king. As I commenced my study of the narrative of the Magi, I asked the Holy Spirit to just give me new eyes that I would see this story afresh. As I concluded my study, I just really felt prompted to ask the Holy Spirit to help me follow in the footsteps of the Magi, eagerly seeking Jesus and bringing me to a place of deeper surrender and reverence. And so I guess that's my prayer for all of us this morning. That the familiarity of this well-known story would fall away and instead we would fall to our knees in awe and wonder of our Saviour King. Let's just pray. Father God, we just want to give you all thanks and all praise and glorify your name that you saw fit to send your Son to earth as our saviour lord i just really pray that as we approach this christmas season a season that we have done so many times before that there's just some things that happen naturally that we don't even think about things that we see but don't really pay attention to things that we hear but don't really listen lord i just really pray that you would give us fresh eyes to help us see and fresh ears to help us hear what you want to reveal to us during this advent time lord i just really pray that you would help us to carve out that time in amidst the busyness and the family commitments and everything else that we've got going on and just make the time to stop and sit with you and ask your holy spirit to reveal afresh to us something about this story something about seeking you and just calling us into that deeper relationship with our saviour We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.